is Australia. This fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms blooms for a time But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Batuta Advocates podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of federal politics. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocates new Decode series where we break down we decipher and, of course, decode a lot of the jargon, a lot of the uh, assumed knowledge that exists within the Canberra bubble. We don't really like that term because it's usually used to discuss political issues, legislation, and scandals that the politicians would prefer we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you refer to something as a Canberra bubble issue, it implies that it's of no interest to the common people, and that's what this podcast aims to kind of breakdown is the fact that actually we're paying everyone down there and uh, we should know exactly what's going on and uh, maybe some of the language being used by both our media and politicians is intentionally exclusive and intentionally confusing. We've had a lot of success so far. We've had a lot of people emailing in saying uh, they're really learning a lot and actually suggesting some topics or some interview guests. Now, we've gone right around the political spectrum. We've interviewed Libs, We've interviewed Labor candidates, the major parties. We've interviewed a few independent candidates. Some Nats. Some Nats. A bloke from Melbourne who likes to beat the tambourine in his spare time. He's the member for Melbourne. Oh, yeah, yeah. Adam Bant, leader of the Greens. And um, today we're going to mix it up and actually interview an independent of sorts who isn't a candidate, who's actually has been elected, previously elected twice, I will say, if you include a by-election. And we kind of want to talk about the politics that surround today's guest from South Australia, because as we know, South Australia, and Adelaide specifically, is Batuta's closest capital city. Yep. It's the closest capital city to Broken Hill. And as the crow flies, we'd be uh, better off getting a doctor's appointment to see a specialist in Adelaide, because it really is somewhat of a rural hub. And for that reason, we've had some interesting politics coming out of there, much like Queensland. There always seems to be a third force in Queensland, be that One Nation or the Catters. And South Australia and Adelaide has always been very similar in that regard. Maybe it's because the people of South Australia don't feel represented by the New South Wales and Victorian headquarters, engine rooms of the major parties. Can't imagine why. Or maybe it's because they are just people that are capable of critical thought. All that and more we'll find out today. Thank you for joining us, Rebecca Sharkey. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Now, the first thing I want to ask, Rebecca Sharkey, do you consider yourself a independent or do you consider yourself a member of a party? Yeah, good question. Look, I'm in Centre Alliance. I'm the only one running this election. Sterling Griff finishes his term on the 30th of June and he's chosen to go under his old running mate, Nick Xenophon. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I'm the only one. So, you know, a bit like Jackie Lambie, she's the only one in her party that's elected. The interesting thing about Centre Alliance is that we always allowed each other, so Sterling Griff and myself, to vote 
as we see fit. So we never really had any party line votes on on any particular issues. So, you know, I like to think of myself as just representing Mayo and that's my entire focus. So just looking at a list of places in South Australia with a population of over 50,000, there's only one. I mean, it's it's Adelaide. And it was Paul Keating who said that if you're not living in Sydney, then you're camping out. Can you say the same thing about South Australia, where if you're not living in Adelaide, you're just living at camp? Oh, no, no. Look, we think up here that we're the centre of the world. Um, We have a mayor that refers to uh, Mount Barker, which is one of my main regional centres. In fact, Mm -hmm. you know, the fastest growing regional centre in South Australia, she says we're in God's country here. So I have a couple of significant regional centres in my electorate that are very fast growing, one being Victor Harbour, the other being Mount Barker. But Adelaide's European settlement and urbanisation is is very, very long. It really stretches Mm -hmm. a long way north and south because of geography, because we have the belt of the hills. So I have a very long electorate as well as Kangaroo Island. So, no, we think we're the centre of the world. We we grow everything. So, you know, the people of Adelaide want to drink water, it comes from the Adelaide Hills. And if they want to eat or drink wine, or even I would say like gin, it all comes from my electorate. Now, it is interesting how you kind of compared the way you sit within your framework, your party, I guess you could say, to Jackie Lambie, because Jackie is one of those kind of political figures that has come from a party, and like so many of the people that kind of exist in our political system, you know, in the same way Jackie does, she's left the party, she got elected, she stood for what she stood for, and then clashed with her party, and ditched Clive Palmer. That's one thing we can thank Clive Palmer for is giving us Jackie Lambie, I guess. A lot of people have done it with One Nation. Pauline manages to get a whole lot of people elected and then they immediately roll on her, some within minutes of being sworn in. How do you, in the Centre Alliance, manage what you said before, this broad church? Because the Liberals claim to be a broad church, but as we know, they're plagued at the moment by captain's calls and you actually aren't allowed to have your own opinion and crossing the floor is the ultimate betrayal. Labor Party just do not allow it. You've got to toe the party line, and that's how it is. And you, you seem to be in this, I guess you could say, what many would view as unrealistic scenario where you guys are allowed to have your own opinions. What is it that brings you together, and um, how have you not fallen to pieces? Well, look, we just made it work, and I think it requires a degree of maturity where you can agree to disagree. And if you feel particularly passionate about something, you can vote with your conscience. I mean, you... We tried very hard through the years to have a consensus and I would say we, we had that on, you know, 99% of the issues, but it was no issue if we didn't because you've got to get up and work the next day and work with each other and I think, you know, cohesively and we had Rex in the team as well and I still work well with Rex now. I kind of see myself not only in the party but also in the parliament as really in many ways I guess a bit of a Switzerland of the parliament just try and work as well as you can with everyone and work out what you have in common with them whether it's um, the government or Bob Hatter or Andrew Wilkie it's often more in common than you think so you just try and work together on the issues that you both care about even George Christensen and I work together on a couple of issues well, if you are the Switzerland of Parliament House, then you're definitely the ones who are hiding all of Bobcatter's gold that he finds. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Just moving forward to this election coming up, what are some of the biggest issues that the people of Mayo are bringing to the table this time around? To you in the streets, what are they telling you? 
Well, I had the oldest electorate by median age in South Australia, one of the oldest in the nation. So aged care, not just this election, but for really two elections has been something that I have, and really both parliaments have been something that I have worked very hard on. I hold seniors expos and I've taken policies to the parliament, one of which was adopted last time by Labor, that being a dental voucher system for seniors, and I've pushed very, very hard on aged care for many, many years on a range of issues around transparency, capping the fees, just trying to really stop the rotting in aged care. So that's a really big issue in my community. We're a regional community, so regional issues around the cost of petrol was a huge issue and obviously the government did some work on that in the budget. And because we have a lot of parts of the electorate that are very prime for Airbnb. We have a huge rental vacancy issue and so cost of housing is a very big issue in Mayo. So you're at war with big tech, is that what you're telling us? <laughs> no, no, not at all. They, no, no, no. Well, you've got the good people at Tesla, they put a big 9-volt battery out in the desert and that's what keeps Adelaide alight at night. They did in South Australia. I would like to see big tech pay a lot more in tax corporate tax in Australia. But uh, you know, some of the issues in my community, we were a safe seat for so long. So upgrading oh, our course, infrastructure yeah. has been <laughs> a big priority I mean, for my electorate. Spiritual home of the downer, isn't it? The electorate of Mayo. I do like that you said because we were such a safe yeah. seat for so long we have very poor infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like every nationals seat in Victoria and in New South Wales. I mean, every hospital there is completely buggered until that seat becomes marginal. Well, that's what we found in Mayo, and we've been able to really draw the nation's attention. When I first ran in 2016, this will be my fourth election. I've, I've been really fortunate to be re-elected three times. You know, when I first ran... A local hospital here that essentially had at that time a catchment of more than 50,000 people didn't even have a doctor overnight, let alone an emergency department. So we've been able to get a lot of that really important social and health infrastructure happening in the community. But when you have an area like my area that's also fast growing, you're also trying to retrofit all of this. So it's been a, a lot of work and we've, we've just had the state election. We've just had a, you know, a commitment from the now state Labor government for more health infrastructure, you know, record spending that's never happened before. And back in 2016, election night and you know, every previous election night, Nobody knew where Mayo was. Nobody cared. It never featured as one of those seats on election night until 2016. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to actually make us matter. You flipped it. Now, I want to talk about that because I want to talk about your kind of background politically. My research tells me you dipped your toes in a few different kind of movements. Would it be correct in saying the Australian Democrats wooed you in high school? Well, I don't know if they necessarily wooed me, but they certainly needed some volunteers. And in high school, year 12, I was doing politics. I think it was the first year it was a matric subject. I mean, that's how old I am. It was called matric then. And I thought, excellent, there's, a, there's an election on. I'm going to make that my focus. I was living just outside of Mayo in the seat of Kingston, and Janine Haynes was running. So uh, a Democrat from the Senate. 
Yeah. I thought this is really exciting. I've, I've got to you know get to know this, and I wrote to all of the candidates, including the sitting member. And Janine was the only one who really got back to me. I received a letter from a candidate, one of the candidates' volunteers from the Liberals, you know, in wonderful copper plate writing, basically telling me I was a foolish young girl to think of anything other than the major parties. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought, well, hey, look, this lady doesn't have a lot of people supporting her. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll help her out and hand, hand out how to vote cards. But I never joined the party, but it sort of intrigued me. And then we had, when I moved into May, we had John Schumann run in the 90s, John Schumann of Red Gum fame. Yep. And he nearly knocked off Alexander Downer then. And so really? I guess it was always in the back of my mind. I think if, you know, a few hundred people had changed their vote, um, yeah. he would have been elected. Who was he running for? He was running for the Democrats. So again, okay. it's that, you know, centre ground, sort of, I guess you could say, small L liberal idea yeah. of thinking, you know, socially progressive, but also considering, you know, physically conservative or, or having some restraint there. Responsible, I guess is a better term. Well, it's almost like to join the Democrats way back in the day, you had to have quite a left field name. Like you go back to the founder, you know, you've got one who sounds like he's an ad man, Darn Chip. Mm. And then you go from there to Cheryl Kernow to Natasha Stoptishboyer. It's a real collection. And they certainly got, didn't sound like Alexander Downer. No, and then you've got absolute <laughs> tongue twisters like Andrew Bartlett. I think, yeah. You've got a... I should have told them about my middle name. My middle name's Che after Che Guevara, so... Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, I had um, quite hippie musical parents. So. I want to discuss that because uh, your, your family history kind of became a nationwide news story during the 2017 Australian parliamentary eligibility crisis. You'd be forgiven uh, with, you know, those uh, rounded South Australian vows to think that you were born in England. In fact, you were? I was. I came out with my parents as a one-year-old back in 19, end of 1973. So going back to the 2017-18 by-election, I'd filled out all my paperwork long before the election was called back in 2016, sent it off to England. They charged my credit card a whopping amount of money to renounce my citizenship virtually immediately, put it to one side, didn't think about it again, because back then the precedent was essentially, you know, do your best efforts to renounce. And then it was the change in the Katie Gallagher High Court decision that made it not about doing, you know, your best efforts, but actually prior to, I think, the writs being issued, that you you receive your paperwork back. So it came back before the actual 2016 election date, but it didn't come back before the writs were issued. So I really thought, you know, know, it's fine, I've got my paperwork back. I think it must, my credit card must have been charged, it must have just you know, sat on, on some yeah. bureaucrat's desk in England and then Bloody they maybe went on, went on holiday, went to Mallorca or something for the summer, who knows. <laughs> yep. And uh, yeah, we had to do it all over again. So, you know, I, um, I borrowed my dad's old Magna and started again. So were you considered, I mean, South Australia was, was a big kind of landing place for 10-pound palms. Would have you been part of that wave? You and your family? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it cost more for my parents to get the train from Torquay, where I was living, where I was born in England, up to London than it cost to get to Australia. <laughs> I was free. Um, yeah, they, um, they had that big 
our plane flight. Dad thought he'd impress Australia and, you know, dressed up in a suit and landed in Darwin in the middle of December. <laughs> and it, it took him a little while because mum's American, but I'm not entitled to citizenship there. She left America before you had to be yeah, there yeah. post 14 for five years. So not entitled, I just need to put that out there, not entitled to American citizenship. Don't want to go through that whole by-election thing again. Well, I, I don't imagine they'd want you with a middle name like that. No, that's that's, <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, maybe I don't know now. what they were thinking. My sister shares the same middle name, actually. And so, yeah, we arrived in Australia and we stayed at a place called Pennington Hostel. That's where all the migrants were put together and... Um, they drove us out north to Elizabeth on a bus and said, you know, and this is where you'll live. And, and Dad just thought, oh, God, there's, there's a lot of palms here. I kind of come here to get away from mm-hmm. yeah. the palms. So, so we settled down south and, you know, they had no idea what they were coming to at all. Mum, being American, looked at the map of Australia, looked at the lakes at the top of South Australia and thought it would be a bit like her home, you know, like Lake, <laughs> Michigan. Lake Erie, Michigan yeah. Lake. But, yeah, yeah, best place in the world. Can you tell me a, a little bit more about that experience? Because, you know, we get chisel, we get a lot of uh, great Australian music coming out of your countrymen. Your, uh, and Holden's too. They all came from Elizabeth. Elizabeth, yeah. What was it like? That idea that they're kind of transplanting the working class of England to Australia, it worked out for some. Some got elected to Parliament, some played professional sport, some got involved in business, but a lot of people didn't break that cycle of poverty. Can you kind of tell us what you learned from that experience, uh, you know, when representing people? Because I imagine, you know, you've got some nice places in, in Mayo. You've got a lot of people that are being tormented by the lovely views and, and Airbnb, but I imagine, like a lot of regional Australia, you see a lot of people that are living in poverty, kids that don't have shoes kids that don't have heaters at home and they come in all shapes sizes and colors look we do we certainly have pockets of hardship across my electorate we have a lot of older people that are renting particularly a lot of older women older single women we have a lot of young families and then on the very you know far peripheral parts of mayo where rent is a little bit cheaper you get a lot of people that move to those areas but become really isolated and we don't have a very good public transport system. We are a regional electorate and we do have it in some parts but other parts we don't and so people become really quite isolated. I think I'm really fortunate that while I didn't grow up in Elizabeth, I grew up in a community very similar called Hackham down in the south and Hackham East Primary School. You know, my parents had three mortgages on a little house. You know, I remember my dad would work in the daytime. He worked for Michelin's and then he worked for Mitsubishi in a factory and at nights on weekdays he was a security guard and then on, on the weekends he, he's a drummer So and that's what he did in England full time and so he would and I would go along if they couldn't get a babysitter because my mum was working nights in aged care and uh, put three chairs together under the um, tables in the pubs and go to sleep you know as this little (laughs) four five-year-old kid because we didn't know anyone here in in Australia back then Um, the good thing from that is is I can fall asleep anywhere Um, yeah you must be a great traveler yeah you really good is the one you want. That's the one. Haven't you want. fallen asleep in Parliament. Haven't done a Clive Palmer, but um, <laughs> but I can. I can nod out. It's a superpower. So I guess it's given me an understanding and empathy of, of you know counting every dollar and 
For many years, I was also a single parent. And so aside from working daytime, I also used to work nights helping out a friend who had a catering business just to just to make ends meet. Do you then find yourself in this world where you're surrounded by people who a lot of people haven't really wanted yeah. for much in their lives, you know? A lot of people haven't really had to work too hard. They've all got the story. They've all got the, um, you know, I pulled beers for six months at Sydney Uni Manning Bar. How do you communicate some of these experiences and some of your, I guess, intuition to people that honestly think poverty is a result of smoking bongs and not wanting to get up off your ass? Yeah, that, that's difficult because poverty is complex. Getting out of poverty is incredibly difficult. Prior to being a Member of Parliament, I was, and actually what got me so cranky I ran was, I was the National Executive Officer for a program called Youth Connections, and uh, when Tony Abbott came in, he cut the program, and that was a brilliant program, and I was, you know, all around Australia, it was about re-engaging young people around, back into education, because education's the key to it all. So I've been part of a number of committees in the parliament. Um, Russell Broadbent has done a lot of work with respect to this area and really what we're seeing now is that a job seeker is so low that it is incredibly difficult if you are long-term on job seeker to actually get a job. And I think we need to do a lot more around providing people with proper support, not just a job active provider who each one of those consultants has upwards of 250 clients each you know I mean that's not really meaningfully supporting somebody if you're living in your car and you've you know and you've got your kids with you and you know you don't have front teeth and you know you haven't had a haircut for three years it's really hard to expect somebody to pull themselves up by their bootstraps to make it happen for themselves and so we are seeing in Australia, I think, you know, an enormous amount of real need. And in my community, we have a number of community organisations that provide emergency food. It's just skyrocketed the amount of people that are looking there for support and people who have never, ever done that before. So I think we need to have a very good look at this whole space. And the worst area is, um, and this was a labour initiative, is when they put single parents that change from when the child is eight years old for the parent to go from the single parent payment to job seeker significantly dropping the amount of income and you can't leave an eight-year-old at home you know on school holidays kids are at their most expensive at eight years of age aren't they like uh, i feel like uh before that you can kind of get away with one costume one outfit yeah it's interesting you say that i'm guessing it was abbott's razor budget 2014 was what kicked you into gear when he decided that kids didn't need to be educated in rural South Australia. Was there anything else? Were there any other factors? I mean, I've read that you did work as a Liberal staff. You never went as far as becoming a a member of the Liberal Party. I wasn't an MP and I I didn't join the party for years until there was a lot of concern that there were leaks happening because I always thought joining the Liberal Party was kind of an affront to liberalism. But I was a member for a couple of years. But by 2012, I kind of had enough of all of that. So I quit the job, quit yep. being part of the party, and then um, went and worked in the, in the youth space. 
But there were a lot of things in that 2014 budget that were pretty terrible. There was plans for six months on, six months off youth allowance. It was a real war against young people and uh, that really fired me up. Was there any other reasons why you didn't go for, you know, Liberal pre-selection or were there any other reasons why you didn't just be the Liberal candidate? I mean, you've been elected three times as not the Liberal candidate. They often provide a lot of resources. Well, I, I thought about it. I had a senior Liberal person say to me, look, you'd be really good. And I'm someone I worked really closely with. And so I went and talked to, you know, someone senior in the party. And it was a woman. And they said to me, look, you know, you're a single parent. I'm really not sure that you're what we're looking for. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so yeah, I thought, you know what, a... you're right. You're absolutely right. I'm not because... I didn't go to the right schools and I didn't come from the right suburbs and I thought, that's fine. No, didn't um, have the right last name for mayor. No. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. I, look, yeah. I, am, I am eternally grateful for the candid nature of that conversation and I got right out of politics up to that and it was that budget that drew me back in. Yeah, I just want to touch on just quickly before we go... Until the 2020 bushfires, there were a lot of people in Queensland that didn't really expect to know that uh, Kangaroo Island was, was a real place. But as we learned, half the island burned in the bushfires and in other parts of the country, the response from the federal government especially has been quite lacklustre. I just want to know if it's any different in Mayo. Mm. Look, I think uh, we have been quite well supported by the federal government with respect to bushfire recovery in Kangaroo Island. Obviously, people would like a lot more resources, but I think even just in the latest round of bushfire recovery money, we've been able to build back better in many aspects. And I had bushfires at both ends of my electorate. So yes, Kangaroo Island, but also the Adelaide Hills had a huge fire scar, many, many homes burnt, it was a really challenging time and it still continues to be making sure that we've we've got the supports right at both ends of the electorate. And then we had an enormous community response with respect to the bushfire. You know, getting Blaze Aid in here was something that myself and the state member, Dan Cregan, worked hard together to make phone calls to find a footy club that was willing to host people. And we've had an enormous outpouring of amazing response from the community It kind of made it particularly difficult during COVID because then, you know, much of the nation's focus went to COVID while we were still really working on fencing and the nuts and bolts of of getting food and fodder to animals. So it's a scar in both places that will sit with our community for many, many, many years to come. And uh, it was, um, but I'd like to say is, members of parliament at a state level working with the government. You know, the Prime Minister came to Kangaroo Island. He also came up to the top part of my electorate as well, as well as David Littleproud, and continuing that connection in and that support in my community. It's been a very difficult road, but step by step we're getting there and it's healing. The the Prime Minister's done his part and and he's kept in contact and he he hasn't gone missing. Are they still coming for you? How do you feel about this election? Are they, is there a bit of a win back Mayo campaign or? Yeah, has this gone the way of uh, Warringah, I think, down in Sydney where they've just uh, conceded that that one's gone to Zali for the next 30 years? I think you just can't be complacent. I mean, you are up against a party machine and 
we don't have a lot of resources. I never have, you know, I mean, probably the by-election was the worst one because I didn't have a car either. So I was, yeah, driving around in the um, electric blue magnet and um, although it's, it's quite noticeable on the road, but look, you're, yeah. you're always up against a machine and of course they'd like to win back Mayo. And I kind of see myself as sort of putting myself out there on a dartboard to make us matter. And that's what I did in 2016 and that's what I've done ever since because if you're, if you're marginal, that, that's politics. You are in the mix and you get noticed. And I don't think there's a member of parliament now that doesn't know where Mayo is. And that was the whole yeah. point. Okay. That's exciting. And, and we'll finish with a question about your, um, is it goat milking expertise or? <laughs> Back-to-back champion, I'll have you know. But I will say, though, that this is for the Mount Barker show. And, and they're much harder to milk than a cow because, you know, they're so yeah. low to the ground. Um, yeah. But it is the celebrity goat milking that I've won twice. So I haven't been up against real goat milkers. <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, but yeah, do have those, those ribbons and I. They're really beautiful, big, fat satin sashes. And it's the only sashes I've ever won. I, I wore it like I was Miss America. <laughs> <laughs> and what are your predictions for the election? I mean, we interview Labor, we interview Liberal. No one really wants to say anything. They certainly don't want to be called out afterwards. Except for Adam Bant, who's like, we're going to have the balance of power. And yeah, it's going to be Adam, great. Adam Bant <laughs> thinks they're taking 18 seats or whatever. Right. What are your predictions? I mean, you just told us that you're working, you, you can't be complacent with your own seat. But I'm just thinking yeah. in the general election, what are you seeing happening? So I think we might see a couple more, a bit of a swelling of the crossbench. I think, you know, even if two of the new candidates get up and win, that is huge. I mean, it's incredibly difficult to win a seat from being an independent or, you know, being in a minor party because it's all stacked against you. You know, you don't have money for hostel vote applications or all of that stuff. I think that we'll see a shaving off of seats from the government but most of their more marginal seats have got a bit of fat in them, whereas a lot of the Labor seats that are marginal are really, really quite marginal. So yeah. I think it's going to be a seat-by-seat battleground. I don't know. I don't know. I could kind of see it falling either way. It'll really depend on what happens on the eastern seaboard. I mean, there's, there's more seats south of Sydney than there are in all of South Australia, and I don't spend a huge amount of time on the eastern seaboard. So. Are you getting on with your new Premier? Yeah, yeah, Peter Melanaskis is a, I've known him for, for quite some time and uh, I now need to make sure that the promises that he made that sit within my federal electorate are delivered. So I kind of have a no wrong door policy, so I like to harass both the federal ministers as well as the state ones. <laughs> well, I think it's going to be uh, an exciting time. They've decided against running another downer against you. That didn't work out too well, did it? It sounds like you're you're going to be busy rounding up this prime minister, this new premier, and of course winning an election for the. This will be the fourth. Number four, yes. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Yeah, elections—they're always really stressful. The best thing about an election campaign is that they're a good weight loss opportunity. I normally lose a few kilos, so that's a silver lining. I can't imagine I would. I can't imagine I would having to visit every cafe and uh, every sausage sizzle at every ballot, but. Uh, I guess you're on the move quite a lot. I, 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 yeah, no, I do not envy the lack of sleep you're going to have over the next six weeks. Just lastly, what does the framework look like? Is this all donations or from the community or has Nick Xenophon managed to get secret high society Barossa Dooch money coming your way? Or So, so Nick's doing his own thing okay. and he's going to be running below the line in the Senate. So he's not 
backing the party that he yeah. created and he wanted to run independently. Fair enough. Yeah. And I have lots of small donations. We'll be doing a quiz night, I think. We normally do a quiz night and uh, a few other little things. We've had uh, ukulele concerts in the past. We, we kind of do things a little different in Mayo. Yeah, it sounds like fun anyway. Do part of you feel like ABC's total control was kind of inspired a little bit by you or, or do you think that's more Jackie Lambie? I haven't watched it. I've had a couple of people who have emailed me and tell me that I remind them of, of one of the characters. So I do need to watch it. I don't get a lot of time to watch television, but it's on the list to watch. And so. you'll, have, you'll have even less time in the next six weeks. Yeah, so. I kind of, you know, I have to sort of wrestle the television for my husband with his seven mate channel that he just loves. So, you know, leave him to it. Thank you for joining us today, Rebecca Sharkey. All the best with the campaign. And uh, also, thanks for... Uh, we heard you're a big reader. Thank you for picking up Batutarism so over Christmas. Oh, no, you actually signed it. Look at this. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you are one of our closest neighbours down there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much.